0: The world of real estate investing is always changing. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, attorney and author Natalia Ouellette-Grice has the expertise to provide valuable guidance on how to navigate the complexities of real estate investing. This is The Legacy Academy. Hello and welcome to The Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law, and with me is attorney Natalia Ouellette-Grice, the owner of LCO Law, and the author of Florida Foreclosure Sales, How to Become and Stay Wealthy by Mastering Objections, Marketability and Possession. You can find this great book on Amazon by clicking the link in the description. Now, today we're gonna continue our deep dive into foreclosure sales. So we've already gone over the basics with our episode on Foreclosures 101, and we're gonna take this a bit further with a certain aspect of preparation that every investor needs to take to heart. Now, this isn't something that you should do this is something that you must do every time without fail if you want to succeed in the long term. So this de- uh, this episode is going to be dedicated to the due diligence aspect of foreclosure sales, right? Mm-hmm. So Natalia, what is investor due diligence and why is it crucial for foreclosure investing?
1: All right. So in a nutshell, right, it means that you've got to verify what you are getting into sure. before before you put any money into the purchase and acquisition, it, you have to be extra careful in foreclosure um, actions, right? Because you need to not only determine the physical condition of what you're buying, the location, the access, the occupancy, you need to also be determining and understanding what liens are attaching to this property that you are buying and what the concept of caveat mTOR is gonna like bury you with, right? And it's crucial because you don't wanna have an unexpected $400,000 lien on what you just bought.
0: Right, we've seen it happen.
1: Oh, very frequently. I mean, every week I have a consult with somebody that made a mistake, didn't do their due diligence beforehand, and, it, you know, is contacting me to try to figure out what can they do about what they've just acquired.
0: Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the key factors to consider when you're doing your due diligence on a foreclosure property?
1: So, you know, when it comes to the two key factors, I'd say break it down into two, right? Physical due diligence and title due diligence. Okay. Physical due diligence is like, is it there? Start out with that basic <laughs> We've thing. Seen that We've too. seen that too. We've seen that too, yes, where it wasn't there, right? So uh, you need to see like, Is it there? What condition is it in? How much money are you going to have to put into this property to make it something that an interested (laughs) person is going to want to buy, right? Is it going to be lipstick on a pig? Is it going to be tear down and rebuilt kind of a thing? Um, You need to see if like a check for permits. Um, That also is going to tell you like are you going to have to pay some money to get this thing properly brought back up to code if it was not properly permitted to sure. have an addition, that kind of thing. Yep. So it's a physical due diligence. Title due diligence has to do with what am I going to be stuck with as an investor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mortgages, judgments, um, you know, HOA dues, county liens, tax liens, and I'm talking both federal and state tax liens, mm-hmm. right? Is there a homestead tax lien? Yep. That's one uh, I remember back in the day. The uh, the investor had bought at a foreclosure, and they were so very excited about it, but they did not do their due diligence, and title-wise. Had they done their due diligence, they would have discovered that there was a homestead tax lien that was recorded, and it was for over $300,000. Oh. <laughs> Ouch. So... Yeah, they were very quickly underwater as a result of their purchase. And you need to build these things into your purchase
0: price. Absolutely. Um, How can investors assess the condition before they make a bid on these foreclosure properties?
1: So like the condition of the the physical structure, right? Obviously, you've got to have some boots on the ground. You need to have somebody driving by, taking pictures, checking those permits for you, um, you can do a lean search, ordering lean search. They're going to, like, pull up any code violations, any utility things that are outstanding. They're going to have those conversations with them. Um, have your boots on the ground. Inquire with neighbors to see, like, are there squatters going in and out? Like, what, who's who's in it, right? Mm-hmm. Who's walking around it? You can knock on the door. You can try that, okay. right? Like, introduce yourself. Uh, You can check prior listings to see, like, you know, especially if they've been done in the last year, what attempts there were to sell the property and what it looked like inside. Uh, And then even in the official records, you can find sometimes uh, things impacting the condition because sinkhole reports have to be recorded in the official records.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, So we kind of went over this already about the title related aspects. Are there any other title related aspects that investors should be weary of? when they're doing their due diligence?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that gets ignored frequently with due diligence when it comes to foreclosures is failing to look at the docket. Not the official records, the docket of the case. Yeah, to see if
0: there's like an active list pendants or anything like that.
1: Not so much for that, but to see like, have, you know, are the parties that are there named as defendants in the lawsuit matching with the people that are in the official records and with the junior lien holders that are in the official records, right? Are, are the legal descriptions in the complaint and in that final judgment of foreclosure matching what the legal description is under the property appraiser, what the legal description is under the prior deeds of record? Are those things fitting up? Are the addresses matching? Sure. You, you need to be checking these things. But also, like, has everybody that's been named a defendant actually been served for the proceedings? How, how,
0: how would they be able to tell that?
1: see the summons and you see return of service sure okay. you see a return of non-service that kind of puts you on notice that hey there's got to be at least publication here coming up so you got to see like was there publication done to to make sure that everyone really did get proper notice of this case because it's these failures of due process that um, really create the biggest challenges for your title right um, in the docket, you're going to see if they filed for bankruptcy too, if there have been previous filings of bankruptcy, because bankruptcies create what's called an automatic stay, um, uh, where like that sale would be invalid <laughs> if it took place under an automatic stay. Sure. So these are like the other title related aspects that are not in the official records, but they are in the docket of the case.
0: So yeah, you got to know where to look for these things. Yes, that, That's important. Mm-hmm. So where would an investor look? for potential liens or encumbrances on one of these foreclosure properties?
1: So um, liens are generally recorded in the official records of the county, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why it it pays to order a title search. Um, Certain types of liens, though, are not recorded, right? Like utility liens are not necessarily recorded. So you'd get a separate lien search. That's companies that know how to talk to talk to right Mm -hmm. at the utility department at you know like the county um inspector's offices maybe before a lien's actually been recorded but there's like violations that are there um
0: So so it may not be something that they can do on their own
1: right i would definitely recommend that this be like given to third parties to do um and then if you don't understand the reports that you've received then schedule an appointment with an attorney who can explain these to you And it needs to be a a real estate attorney that is a title expert type of attorney. You Mm -hmm. can't just go to a any real estate attorney because real estate is such a broad topic, right? You can have a real estate attorney that specializes in zoning. You can have one that specializes in land use. You can have one that specializes just in doing closings. You have one that specializes in title litigation, one that only does evictions, right? So it's so broad that you really need to make sure that you're going to a title expert to tell you what it means, what your report means, and to cross-reference it to check that it's okay.
0: Sure, sure. Now, how can investors verify the accuracy of the property information? Because you were mentioning, you know, make sure that the names match up, Mm -hmm. the addresses match up. That seems fairly self-explanatory, but is there anything that they can do to guarantee that all of this uh, information and all these disclosures are, are accurate?
1: Well, so, number one, let's just understand that the foreclosure process does not provide you with disclosures, right? So it's not like you go to a title company; the title company does the uh, title commitment, and that lets you know what are the encumbrances of record that they found. Mm-hmm. You don't get anything like that when you're bidding at, at auctions, right? So you've got to pay to get these things. Right. Those are the title reports. Those are the lien reports. And how do you verify the accuracy of that information? Well you you've got to develop a relationship with a real estate attorney that will help you verify those, right? You've, you've just got to go beyond yourself because you don't have the expertise as a real estate investor. And that's not what you should be wasting your time on. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's not the best use. Exactly. It's not the best use of your time. Remember season one and talking about business, right? You want to make sure that you're spending your time on what you're an expert at in your business, which is generally sales. If you're a real estate investors, right? Having those sales conversations, and doing the marketing for your company, and then delegating out everything else. So verifying the accuracy of what you've received on your title searches, lien searches, have a conversation with a real estate attorney about that.
0: Okay. All right. So this is actually kind of exciting. We actually had a hearing today that coincides with with the topic that that we have. So um, we had a hearing today where the purchaser at a foreclosure sale shows up uh, to talk about the surplus funds, right? Mm-hmm. And the purchaser is asking, hey, maybe these can be used to pay the past due taxes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Obviously not using names or work case numbers or anything, but yep. can you talk a little bit about that and what the outcome was when this guy was asking for the surplus funds?
1: Yep. So, so first let's talk about what is surplus funds. So surplus funds is when at a foreclosure auction... The final judgment amount, let's say is two hundred thousand. The highest bid, the winning bid is three hundred thousand. So you've got like a hundred thousand dollar difference, less some clerk fees, right?
0: Before you move on, uh-huh. where does those or where do those surplus funds reside?
1: With a clerk of court in okay. their registry.
0: And if nobody claims them, is there a time limit?
1: There is a time limit. There's a year. Okay. Okay. All right. So surplus funds, they're there. And under Florida law. These surplus funds are only available for the prior owner of record who was the owner of record when that list pendants for the party foreclosing was filed, right? So not, not the person who got the quick claim from the prior owner during the foreclosure litigation. No, no, no. The party who was the owner of record when the foreclosure was filed. Them and junior lien holders. They are the ones that are entitled to surplus funds. Superior lien holders are not entitled to surplus funds.
0: And tax deeds or taxes taxes are a superior.
1: Taxes are super priority liens. They are the utmost superior liens. So they are not entitled to um, receive surplus funds from these sales. So this purchaser, right, the guy that bid at the auction, wanted those surplus funds to be used for the delinquent taxes, but they got denied that. Why? Two concepts. One, like I said, superior liens. You can't use the money to pay that. Mm -hmm. Two, caveat emptor. Buyer beware is a huge thing. It is a very strong concept in the foreclosure cases. And so he bought property knowing that he was just going to get whatever quality of title that plaintiff got. And because that plaintiff was not superior to Florida taxes, that plaintiff as uh, so foreclosure isn't going to make this person entitled to those taxes going away.
0: Right, right. So another reason why it's super important to know what you're getting into.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: Uh, so what are some major red flags to watch out for that might cause an investor to be like, eh, I don't think I want this property?
1: Um, so I would say, you know, you, you should look through, in looking through the complaint and doing your due diligence, a good complaint's going to say, what the book and pages of whatever's being foreclosed in right Mm -hmm. it could be the HOA lien it could be a mortgage that's going to tell you where does it stand is there a mortgage superior to it is there another lien superior to it because that's what you're going to be stuck with you're going to be stuck with whatever is superior to that yeah
0: we we see a lot of people who buy at HOA foreclosures
1: and then they don't realize that there is a A mortgage a huge mortgage (laughs) attached to it yeah uh, and that happens uh, far too frequently, and it's it's very sad. And it's okay to buy at HOA foreclosures. You just should not be bidding anywhere near market price if there's an outstanding mortgage right. on the property. We've
0: seen a lot of people run into that, and unfortunately, there's not a lot that can be done.
1: Yeah. So, you know, red flags to watch out for during that due diligence. Like I said, make sure that you look through the complaint to see what, what level lien is being foreclosed. Uh, You also need to look through that to see if they've missed some junior liens because that might force you into re-foreclosure litigation. Um, You need to see if there's delinquent taxes on the property because if there's a tax delinquency and how you know this is because you look it up on the the records for the tax collector's office and they're like, not visible, have to call for information. That tells you that they're delinquent. Um, And so when you call, right, if they say a tax deed sale is coming up, you can immediately lose your property. From a taxi sale right after. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: And then, you know, other red flags in a docket would be like dismissed parties, because that means they're not going to be impacted by the final judgment. So if they dismiss the IRS or whomever else from the case, what does that mean? That means that that final judgment of foreclosure is not foreclosing out that IRS or whomever else got dismissed from the case. So you really need to be aware of that especially if it's federal entities because federal entities liens don't get wiped out until and unless there is a sale and they're included in that final judgment for the sale. Okay. So it's right. it's really important to, to not ignore that. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, it, it sounds like you're saying that it's not necessarily bad to bid at these junior foreclosures. Mm-hmm. You just have to be aware that you're going to be responsible for the superior liens
1: right and and you need to build that into your bid price right right and, right. and really learn to cap yourself out <laughs> at something where you'd still be profitable
0: right okay all right so a lot of what we've been talking about is about residential real estate residential mm-hmm. land things like that right are there any specific considerations for due diligence with commercial foreclosures
1: yeah, so some of like the unique aspects of commercial foreclosures. There is a, a little niche statute for commercial foreclosures where they can be done in a sort of administrative way, meaning with less judicial involvement. I've, I've never seen it used in Florida, but there is a little niche for that. But uh, things that you should be mindful of is right rental agreements. Rental agreements, if you're buying at a foreclosure, are still going to be valid or those commercial leases that are involved in those commercial units. Mm-hmm. So you can't just like kick everybody else out. That's not how it works. There is a tenant at foreclosure act, but that tenant at foreclosure act is for residential tenancies. Right. Um so
0: is there anything similar for commercial properties? No, there's not. Okay. No.
1: Um sometimes these commercial foreclosures are foreclosing on mortgages that were secured by multiple properties that might be involved in multiple counties. Mm. So you need to really see what you're bidding for at that specific auction because that specific auction might, you might actually end up with more properties than you thought. Right. <laughs> um, which might not be what you wanted. Okay? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you need to also be mindful of quick claim deeds that are done mid foreclosure Right? Often when it's a business and it's being foreclosed and they're trying to kind of like evade uh, their creditors, they'll do quick claim deed transfers in between. So it'll be like, um, you know, it was owned by like AMC Company, Inc. That's the original party to the suit. And then they've conveyed it to XYZ Company, blah, 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 mid case. And XYZ will start to go into the case and try to file things to delay it. Just be mindful that it's more likely in these uh, commercial situations to have transfers between entities, and that attempted delay kind of a thing. So, yeah, I would say those are those are some of the red flags there. Okay. The differences.
0: All right. How can investors uh, estimate the timeline and costs associated with the foreclosure process itself?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give an answer of whether you're a bidder. Or if you happen to be an investor that decided to be a lender and is now doing foreclosure, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Sure. So we'll start out. If you're a bidder, right, you need to be mindful of the 10-day objection period. So yay, you won the auction. Now there's a 10-day objection period in which people can raise hell or forever hold their peace before a certificate of title is issued.
0: Right. So that 10-day objection period, Mm -hmm. who gets noticed that, hey, this has been sold at foreclosure and you have 10 days to say something?
1: Uh, Does ev- anybody
0: get noticed for that?
1: Yeah, every party that received a copy of the final judgment has notice of that. Okay. So the the debtor, tenants in possession, and that will that, that show up happen. on the
0: docket as well? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. Um, um, if there's occupants on the property, you need to be mindful that writs of possession can take two to six weeks to be issued. Um, that's the average, right? And then you have to take into account the sheriff's service timeline for serving and executing this writs of possession to remove occupants that are mm-hmm. not that are just kind of like. Studging themselves in. If there's appeals filed, you need to be mindful that appeals can take up to two years to decide.
0: Right. Ouch. And so
1: you might have a title issue for two years. If there's bankruptcy that was filed and there was a like an automatic stay, that's an issue. Um, generally, you're you're looking at at least half a year in court, stuck with the bankruptcy court process until they make a determination.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. These are the timelines that can be an impact if you're a bidder. And then if you are a foreclosure lender, so you are a private lender and you want to foreclose, right? The process should take six to 12 months. But if it's residential, it can take longer because a lot of counties force mediation in residential matters. Um, And so it's not a fast process per se, but when you find those nuggets, right? When you've done your due diligence and you're like, this, this makes sense. If you know what you're doing, right? If you read the book, if you know what you're doing, you can really make a successful business out of this.
0: Yep. Awesome. Awesome. Um, What tools are available to investors to perform this due diligence?
1: So there are hundreds if not thousands of companies out there that will do title searches for you and that will do lien searches for mm-hmm. you. I mean, try out a couple. Bring bring the searches that you've paid for to a real estate attorney. If if it turns out that, you know, all of them are great, they're catching everything and you're now learning how to understand this, wonderful. Keep using that company. If it turns out that they keep missing things, stop using that company and use somebody different, right? <laughs> Um, but always, especially as you're like early on, have a real estate attorney verify these for you so that you understand what you're getting into. And you need to have a team, boots on the ground, runners that are checking on the actual property for you. The last thing that you want to do is, is be like one of those um, poor individuals that I had to represent where they bid at something that didn't exist anymore because it had burned to the ground. So really take advantage of the fact that you've got so many resources available for you to do these searches for you and to look at the property and make sure it's there.
0: All right. One of the things that you had talked about um, earlier is constructive notice. Can you dig a little deeper into that? What is constructive notice?
1: Right. So in um, real estate law, there's different concepts of how do you how do you know when something exists? How do you know when a lien exists? How do you know that there's a, a mortgage on a property or anything like that, right? There's actual notice, which is generally involves you being one of the parties to the transaction where you know you gave a mortgage out on your property. Sure. And then constructive notice is due to recording these things in the official record of the county where the property is located. That puts the entire world on notice, as far as the courts are concerned, that there is this mortgage or association lien or credit card judgment or whatever else that is attaching now to the property.
0: And where are they going to find this constructive notice? And
1: you'll find it in the official records of the county where the property is located.
0: Okay. Right. So typically constructive notice is in a newspaper? No. Not necessarily?
1: No. Constructive notice is in the official records of the county. So it's the clerk of court's recording department is going to have that. So
0: what's the difference between constructive notice and publication?
1: Oh, okay. All right. So good question. Constructive notice for purposes of understanding if liens exist and of being essentially told, I don't care if you looked at the public records or not. This was there. And so you're deemed to have constructive notice of it. Right, which is that concept, that giant concept of caveat emptor. If the courts don't care if you bid at an auction and didn't know there was a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage on it, right? They don't care, it was there for your eyes, right? But constructive notice for purposes of doing a case and parties being properly notified that has to do with I couldn't find this person, I tried. We, we have an affidavit of due diligence. We searched in all these places to see if we could get any information on in this person's last known address to serve them. We couldn't find them, and therefore we need to publish notice of this lawsuit in a local newspaper for four consecutive weeks so that they are deemed to have constructive notice of our lawsuit.
0: Yeah, okay. All right. All right. So
1: those are the two differences there. Um, but constructive notice really shoves you into the... Sad world of caveat mTOR.
0: Well, since you're talking about that, why don't you dig a little deeper on caveat mTOR? Because buyer beware is kind of a general term. Yeah. Um, it could be used for pretty much anything. Oh, buyer beware, well, there was a crack in the foundation. Buyer beware that right. Can you can you give us, you know, the court's view on caveat mTOR?
1: Yes. So to a court in a foreclosure proceeding, caveat mTOR means that you are deemed to be on notice of everything that is recorded relating to this property.
0: Even if you didn't look it up.
1: Even if you didn't look it up, right? And therefore, buyer beware, buyer has been forewarned by the fact that it is in the public records. Okay. But, a caveat emptor though is not a an unlimited concept. No? No. Because if there is fraud or misrepresentation, or something with like the kind of like the smell of fraud thing. Mm-hmm. Then um, the party who created the proceeding or created the fraud or anything like that, right? They they are not going to necessarily uh, be successful. Sure. And providing the sale or enforcing the sale if there was some fraud in there, even in the concept of caveat emptor.
0: Yeah, they're not protected by that.
1: Right, and it's because the courts are not supposed to be used to commit fraud.
0: <laughs> you don't say.
1: <laughs> so caveat emptor is not unlimited. That's why we have cases like in Florida, like the Johnson versus Davis case, which talks about like buyers uh, being misrepresented as to what was going on with the roof in a property and and even though um, you know, they, they had asked about it and they were like, no, no, everything's fine it turned out that there was this big like roof issue they were able to cancel the sale and and cancel the transaction even though they were there and they could see the roof so it's it's caveat emptor not unlimited but it's strong in the foreclosure courts
0: yep so be aware that if you don't do your due diligence you could be subject to the caveat emptor right
1: you will be, yeah. <laughs> you
0: will be. All right, so lastly, what are the three things that an investor should do before bidding to ensure that they're not going to end up with a liability instead of an investment?
1: So number one, do your title search and lien search. Order those up. Um, if you are not an expert title searcher or you don't have an expert title searcher on your team, absolutely order them. hmm Number two, do your physical due diligence. You need to go and verify that what you're bidding on really is what you're bidding on. And that includes, you know, cross-checking those addresses. Yes, I've had to deal with cases where the property that was sold was actually the neighbor's parcel. And that whole thing had to be undone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then do a docket search, okay? Learn to become familiar with the dockets in these foreclosure cases. The case tells the
0: story. yes. So Yes. And to that, I will say that you have to be comfortable with multiple counties because they're not all the same.
1: No. <laughs> you know, some of the
0: dockets are available to the public without question. I've seen some where you have to create a password. Uh-huh. There's some that won't show you the image at all. So you gotta be really familiar with where you're bidding as well.
1: Yeah, and that goes for the county official record systems. You know, there's some where you can you can search under all sorts of things to find information on the property. There's some that are just like name index. Why? Because name index is really the only thing that's required by law. Mm-hmm. So finding through grantor and grantee, and that's it. Not looking up through legal descriptions, not looking up through books and pages, right? So you really need to be comfortable being uncomfortable with these things if you're going to do the search yourself or work with a company that knows how to do searches in all of these places.
0: Yeah. And if you are more of a DIY kind of investor, we get it. We, you you know, it's a great way to save money and maybe you're confident in your abilities. If you want to learn how to do title searches, we actually have a course available on our website that you can check out and Natalia will walk you through how to do a title search and this was an actual title search that she did for a case. Mm -hmm. So um, I'll put the link to that in the description of this episode. So if you're more of a do-it-yourself kind of person, we've got you covered there too. Thank you so much for joining us and if you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast application. And then tune in every Monday to get more tips on how to avoid investing's legal pitfalls and take your real estate business to the next level. You can also find us online at lcolawfl.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TheLegacyAcademyFL.